Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Thanks, everyone. Have a seat, and uh, thanks for being with us, especially if uh, it's a busy weekend for you. Uh, we were sharing with our, with our team just a bit earlier how vacation for some of you is just around the corner, and you're looking forward to... Thanks, guys. Uh, you're looking forward to kind of getting away. There's this weird thing like a race. I heard of a race this weekend in Montreal. I'm not sure if people are interested in that. <laughs> But uh, if you're watching online, uh, this is Grand Prix weekend for us here in Quebec, and that's kind of a, a busy time, lots of tourists and lots of people involved in some ways. And so one of the things we love to do at the 180 is to think about how what we believe is connected to the real world we live in, how we uh, deal with questions that people have, maybe questions that you have. And so a few weeks ago, what we did is we thought, let's just start a series and take a few weeks together to talk about the Bible to talk about why the Bible is so important, how we kind of have the Bible, and, and maybe it gives us each a chance to think about the people who introduced us to the Bible. You know, for me, as I was working on this series and as I've been praying and preparing, I think about along the way how God brought certain people in my life to help me read the Bible a bit more, understand it in new ways, and, and also that for so many people, when they hear the word Bible, I don't know if this is you, maybe you're online and this applies to you. You hear the word Bible and you have all these assumptions about the Bible. Like just think, like the Bible is a book of rules. Or the Bible is hard to understand. Or the Bible is like boring. Anyone? No? All of you are like the weather today. It's like everyone's like, we're going to just quietly hope Dom doesn't see us fall asleep. I'd see everything from up here. But I, I want to begin this morning just to kind of wake you up just a little bit. I want to begin with a Jeopardy question. Okay, in a few minutes, you're going to see it on the screen, just a sec. Uh, this is a question that was asked on Jeopardy this week, and it has to do with the Bible. Some of you, watch out, some of you are ahead of the game here. It has to do with the Bible, and every one of the contestants could not answer the question. Okay, every one of the contestants. So here's, the, in my head, I hear like the Jeopardy music playing. I, I thought about getting the Jeopardy music playing, but I think it's copyright, and YouTube would shut down our whole website. So we're not going to, you could sing it in your head. But here's the question on Jeopardy, do you know the answer to this question? That's it. That's it. Right there. That's it. I'm here. I hear that now, right? For those of you listening, you can't see the screen. Here's the question. Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father which art in heaven, this be thy name. Hallowed be thy name, right? Or holy. Or, you know, some translations might even say blessed be thy name, right? And all the contestants were like, crickets. And like the internet kind of exploded by people being shocked that how could they not know the answer? Like this is crazy. We're living at a time where people don't know the Bible. And you know, the truth is that a lot of people have maybe heard of the Bible. They remember their grandparents talking about the Bible. They even maybe go to church. But they wouldn't even know like some of the most essential things that the Bible talks about. Just any of you know where this comes from the Bible? 
Just think about it. This is like, no, not Matthew, but what it's called. <laughs> yeah, well played, Matthew. Yeah, I did. It's, it's the Lord's Prayer. It's actually called the Lord's Prayer. And for many people, uh, maybe that's something you remember learning when you were growing up. But more and more, we are living in a time where people are disconnected from the Bible. And I don't just mean people like, oh, in the big bad world out there. I mean people even in the church. Many of us who struggle to understand it, and we want you to know that no matter where you're at, it's okay to just say that you need help to grow in understanding your Bible. And if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free. No strings attached. No coffee, but Bibles. Okay? We'd love to give you one because it's so important that at any point in your life, if you're going to grow in understanding the story of Jesus, the story of Christianity, the love of God, you kind of have to kind of get into reading and understanding the Bible. And this is a great time as well to think about as we move into the fall, you're back from vacation and you hear of a learning series or a Bible study, you would sign up and come to that so we could help you. For so many people, this never happens. And then Christianity becomes kind of this, you, this feeling, like, it I, I, depends how I feel, depends with how I live my life. Or the most dangerous thing that I've seen as a pastor over the years is people who base their, their learning about God on signs. Do you know people like that? They see a sign every week and it means something. Oh, this happened. That's got to be a sign. I, I sometimes have conversations with people about that. They're like, Pastor, I'm sure this is a sign. And I don't know how in a nice way to say to them, that's insane. No, that's not a sign from God. Okay? Just because we can't just live our life on like looking for signs and everything. The Bible anchors us to a deeper place where we interpret what's happening in our lives by listening to how God has always spoken to his people throughout the ages. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't sometimes prompt us in a new way. Don't get me wrong. Don't send me an email. I'm going to delete it. Okay? Like, it's just, oh, you know, like, you offended me. No, no. I, I understand. But in general, Christians have always said the scriptures, the Bible, they anchor us in deeper ways. And all of us need help to kind of grow in that, to learn about assumptions that we have, things we see in our culture. And so this morning, I want to kind of help us as we move on. And if you missed last week... One of the things I want to do this week is just begin with a slide that's kind of like going to feel like just some facts. They're just like some simple facts. So if you missed last week, you can go back and watch it online. Some of you on YouTube know this. You can, you can catch it up if you miss something. But this is kind of just, just an, a snapshot of some important facts about the Bible that you might not know or heard of sometime. And you'll just see it on the screen. You can go to it. That the Bible is made up of 66 books. Depending on some Christian traditions, there's a little variation there, but it's called the Hebrew Bible, which is part of the Old Testament, and the New Testament, you know, second part of the Bible. Over 35 authors, different spiritual experiences. That always has helped me because I think all people in the Bible are super spiritual all the time. Not always. Some people in the Bible are struggling to understand who God is. Three continents, the Bible spans like writing from different continents. Three original uh, languages covers over 15, 13, uh, 1,300 years. If you were here last week, I actually used 1,500 years because there are different ways of reading that that some scholars disagree with, so I wanted you to feel that, that discrepancy. But the last point is so important. That's still the best-selling book in the world every single year. Still. It's incredible. I often like to add to that that the Bible is the best-selling book that fewer and fewer people are reading in the world. Because you can buy a Bible and then you just put it somewhere and you hope you look it up when you have a problem or when there's a crisis. Or when so- and we really want to be a church that fights against that feeling, that makes it like God is there for us to use Him whenever we're in trouble. And then when we're having our summertime, we're on vacation, we're taking a break. We take a break from God. It's took some time off. You know? It's funny, but it happens to all of us. We get into this pattern. 
And so one of the things I want to do is I want to let you know something really important. And I know this can be helpful for some of you. Maybe you're sitting next to someone and this is brand new. Some of you want to write this down or take a picture. A lot of this information. But the facts about the Bible are not going to be enough. Even the devil knows all the facts about the Bible. There's people that I know that have all the facts. They know everything about the Bible. And actually they feel like if I know enough of the facts, I can convince someone else who doesn't believe in the Bible to read the Bible. You know what my experience has been? That very few people move closer to reading the Bible or closer to God when you play the fact game with them. You might win an argument with them on the internet, by the way. And then they'll go on and keep living their own life and say, you know what? That's good for you. But not for me. I'm not really interested in that. It's not really about me. You know. So what I want to do is I want to push us just a bit further because the Bible invites us to see the Bi- itself and the writings in a deeper way. Actually, what's shocking is if you read the Bible, the Bible doesn't do this. The Bible doesn't start with facts. The Bible doesn't say, here's how you know for sure that this is the writing of God for you for all time. It doesn't do that. When you start reading the Bible, the Bible begins to pull you into a story about someone else. And you and I are not the center of the story. The Bible actually starts to draw us into understanding that the Bible and all of its words are a gift to us because they point us to who Jesus really was. And this is different than any other religion. It's so important. And if you, again, if you're reading the Bible, you're learning from the Bible, you start to feel this. So I want to just begin to help you understand this. This is important because for some of you, somebody's going to ask you a question, your kids, you're growing, you, you want to feel like you're starting to grow in this area of your life. And you, you pick up the Bible and you read one of the gospel writers. His name is John. This is what he says at the beginning of his, uh, his letter. He says this profound thing. And I want you to notice that he has a unique name for Jesus, okay? List in your Bible, you might want to circle this or pay attention. This is what he says. You'll see on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Just this, if you open your Bible and you start reading this, you might be like, that was just hard to understand. What just happened right now? I saw the word word a lot, and word again, and word of God, and word, more word, and of word, more word. Right? You're like, I'm so, I'm, I'm tired. I'm already tired. But if you remember anything, it's so important to remember this, that the Bible calls Jesus the word of God. The Bible's first introduction says, hey, hey, when you're thinking about the word of God, remember that there's an eternal word of God that exists before even the written words of God are available to us in our Bible. This is so important, that Jesus is actually called the word of God. And where is Jesus? He's there from the beginning. And and if you listen to last week, you know this. At the beginning, when God is creating and he's speaking and things are coming to life and they're, they're given life because of the words of God, John says, you know what's so important you understand? That Jesus is there from the beginning. This is one of the most essential things about the Christian faith. And, and no other religion really holds on to this principle like Christians do. That the truth okay, about the, the, the beginning of, of creation and about how we believe the Bible is that the truth is first and foremost a person. I put this on a slide just so you can see it. If you remember anything else, just remember this idea. In Christianity, the truth is first a person, and his name is Jesus. And everything that we learn about who Jesus is is the Bible pointing us 
to him as the one who was there from the beginning. This is so hard for people to understand. Because we live in a culture that when we learn things and we understand things, we're, we're very textual. Like, and that's very wonderful and it's great that we actually have a written Bible. But for the earliest Christians, this would have been so helpful for them because remember, many of the early Christians can't read. Many of them don't have a Bible that's written the way we have it, like which, which we enjoy. So to even hear John say, hey, before you're even able to read, you should know something. That there's a God who is there from the beginning giving life to everything, giving life to you. And you're ready for this? And He loves you. He loves you. So when you think of your life and when you think of the, the challenges you're going to face, that from the beginning of all time, there's one who is the eternal Word of God, and He's there from the beginning. And everything you read in this book is meant to direct your heart and your attention to that Jesus. Not only that you would just understand Him better, but that you would begin to follow Him that you would begin to set your life in, in the direction of His way of life and how we would surrender to this. Now, if you have uh, students who've graduated and maybe you're in school or this is kind of like graduation week, a lot of people uh, are celebrating that their kids have worked hard, I think you can go back to the passage in John just for a second. I just want to highlight that it's so important that in our Bible, the word for word, okay, is the word logos. Okay, I'm going to say that again so you don't get lost. The word... For the word, word, wow, that sounded nuts, okay? The word is the word logos. Everybody say logos. Logos, logos okay? It actually means a governing, rational, ordering principle, meaning that John wanted us to understand that Jesus governs and gives everything order. Okay? Meaning when you feel that the world is in disorder, and when you feel like your life is in disorder, that there's one who is the eternal word of God that gives our life order. Make sense? Pretty simple, right? This is so important because so many young people, people that I know, people that I love, they've often been taught that if you read the Bible, you have to be against science. If you read the Bible, you have to be against everything they teach you in university. If you read the Bible, then you can't trust any of the learning that's happening out there somewhere, right? And actually, this word is a Greek word that John uses to say, no, no, as you study all the other disciplines in the world, the fact that you can study them means that God created the world with a what? An order. The fact that the world is ordered makes science work. You can find patterns and see how things come together, right? So can we just dispel the myth once and for all, at least if you're part of our church, that reading the Bible doesn't mean you have to be anti-everything else. Actually, we need the next generation to know that the more they read the Bible, the more we need them to be the best scientists, the best doctors, the best chemists, the best everything. Because the Bible's not us against everything else. The Bible actually is a gift pointing us to Jesus who gives order to everything. And this is so beautiful when young people feel that they can read the Bible and grow. And then not only young people, even us as we're older, to, to feel like there maybe doesn't have to be that tension that we often feel in our culture with that. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean there's not discrepancies and disagreements. There is. I think of so many people in my life who when we were like young and kind of learning about what we were going to do when we grow up, maybe going to university, so many people started to ask questions about these things. Like if I read the Bible, does it mean like I have to stop thinking about deeper things? And I was like, I don't think we have to do that. Like I think we can keep growing and love God and love the Bible. And so many of the people who were close to me, 
they were told by others that you either pick the Bible and, and you, you kind of walk away from everything else. And you know what? They walked away from church. They walked away from learning the Bible in a deeper way. They walked away from the time when you have to learn to hold this tension. And if only I knew enough then to say, hey, hey, I think it's important that we understand that the Bible reminds us that Jesus comes as the eternal word of God giving order to everything. And actually, it's glorifying to God when you do good science. It's glorifying to God when you're a great physicist. It's glorifying to God when you're a good doctor. It is. And this is rooted in why the Bible becomes so special. That throughout the ages and throughout history, many of the great thinkers, they went back to the Bible and they're like, we don't have all the words for this, but, but we think it's really, really unique. Let me just give you this quote. This is by Albert Einstein. He has this fascinating thing. One of the greatest theoretical physicists in the world. Okay? No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. That's what Einstein once said. Now, we don't think he ever got to the place where he believed Jesus was God. But even someone like this was like, there's something about these writings that have something special about them. And they seem to all point to a person, which is this Jesus who they write about. So I want you to just feel that a little bit and to just understand that as you learn to read your Bible better, as you grow to understand the story of the Bible, you'll also hear Jesus speaking to you because these words are not just meant to be ideas. They're meant to be personal stories for us as well. For some of you, this summer, you will take some time and read just a small part of the Bible, and Jesus will speak to you in a new way. Jesus will begin to show you something in the passage you read that applies to you. Now, I want to tell you about a temptation that always happens to me. When I read the Bible, I always think of someone else I know that I need to tell the Bible passage to. You might have this problem too. It's the judgmental problem. Some of you don't have it, but some of you have a lot for the rest of us. Okay? You can figure out who you are. Okay, but it's like I read something in the Bible, I'm like, this would be so good for my wife. My wife needs to hear this. She looks amazing up here, but no, 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 no. Don't tell her that. Don't, nobody tell her any of that. But it's like you read the Bible, and you're like, I'm going to read the Bible so I can tell my kids that if they don't do what I say, there's something about obeying your parents in there. We always do this. So the Bible then becomes a tool that we use on others. Can we just, just together commit to saying, Jesus, I want to learn to read the Bible better so that I hear you speaking to me. So that I learn what it means to surrender to what you're asking me to do. How you're calling me to grow. How you're calling me to model this new way of life. And that others would see that and they, be, they would begin to be drawn closer and closer to who you are. Now there's people in the Bible stories that you will read that cannot stand being in the presence of Jesus. They cannot stand it. Because every time they hear him speak, and every time they hear him teach, they hear people saying that when he speaks, he has a kind of authority, maybe think of it like this eternal authority, that drives us crazy. He seems to be like critiquing us, and saying certain things about us, and, and, and they're just so upset. If you've never read the Bible, you might not know this, they're actually these religious leaders whose job was to read the story of Israel and to interpret that for the people, okay? And, and Jesus is talking with them. Sometimes he's saying nice things. Many times he's saying not nice things. And Jesus had a way of taking everyone, no matter where they were, and saying, all of you, follow me. No matter where you're at. He would always do this. And one day Jesus is healing, and he's, he's doing some things that the religious leaders feel like they're upset about. And they're like, wait, wait a second. You're not really allowed to do this this way based on what we've been teaching the people. And, and so if you have a Bible, I want you maybe to consider this this week, to read John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. Okay, that's it. 
John chapter 5, John chapter 6. Because you'll read them because it's a great section that starts to show how people in the Bible struggle with hearing the Bible, the Bible that they have, and seeing that this book is meant to talk about the greatness of Jesus, who's the eternal word of God. They struggle with that. And at one point, you're ready for this, Jesus is going to let them have it. When Jesus lets them have it, it's always like, you know, Jesus is like hugging you and giving you a little punch at the same time. He has this magic way of just cutting and telling the truth. And he says this to these religious leaders. It's profound. He says, you study the scriptures, which are the Hebrew Bible, the writings of the Jewish people. You study the scriptures, okay, the Torah you can write there, diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus says. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Wow. What a great warning for us. What a great warning that even when we have the Bible, even when we have the scriptures, that we can get to the place where we are so proud with the way we read the Bible that it never moves us to fall more in love with who Jesus is. And Jesus is already dealing with this in the first century. He's already dealing with people who, who love their interpretations. They love the way they've read the Torah. They love the way they've understood the stories. And now Jesus is saying, that's wonderful. But how is it that that hasn't moved you for you to see that I am the one these scriptures talk about? How does that happen? Think about it. How do you think it happens? It happens in a very simple way. It happens because we become proud. It happens because we start to think that we have God's perspective when we read the Bible. Oftentimes you'll hear this constantly, and I've heard it for years. I think it was something in my life that God had to stretch me in to not confuse that the Bible is the inspired word of God. That's really important. That's a biblical principle, right? But my interpretations are not inspired like the word of God. And, I, and I, for me, they were the same thing. It's a, the Bible's inspired, and I read the Bible the way God sees the Bible, which means I think I'm what? God. Instead of being humble in my reading of the Bible, where I say, you know what? These scriptures, like there, they have deep truths, and we know some things for sure. And then there's other things that we're like, we're, we're just finite, sinful, broken human beings. And even as we read the Bible, when we're done interpreting the Bible, people should sense real humility when they're around us. A real sense of wanting to kind of learn with us as we're learning. And so many times, I find in my own life, maybe in your life, People get interested even with the Bible so they can tell everybody that they're wrong. So that they can win arguments. They can win debates. You know, and again, I'm not saying that there's not times for, for like a, a deep conversation about what this means, what that doesn't mean, right? But you can see that Jesus is already saying you can do all that and miss that these scriptures are about me. I want to give you an example of a question I've heard for so many years from different parents. And, and I want to show you this idea because it has to do with other religious books. You think of other religions in the world. Maybe you've heard of some of these. You can go to the slide. It's just a few, a few back, okay? What about all the other religious books? Like the Torah, which is the Hebrew, Hebrew writings. The Quran, if you've ever looked into the Quran. Or the Bhagavad Gita, which is the writing of Hindu people. The Hindu, a Hindu religion, right? Like you think of this, and I find for so many people, they're like, you know what? Isn't it arrogant to think like we have the Bible and that's the word of God? And all the other writings of all these other religions, guess what? They're not the word of God. I've, I've had these conversations with parents and young people for so many years. And I always remind them of this. That the point of the Bible is not just to tell us that they're the word of God. It's, that the, it's the only book that points to the person who is God. And the other religious books do not do this. And so can I just remind you that when you're, you're reading your Bible or you're talking to someone who doesn't read the Bible, 
that you would just kind of listen and respect that there's other religious books and other religions. If you have young people, maybe they've done a, a comparative religion course. Uh, I did one of those when I was in seminary. And, you know, you go to different religious traditions. But the Bible is not just a book that tells us facts that we put up against another religious book and then we wait and we watch the debate. It's a book that has facts and it's very different than some other religious books because it always points to who? To Jesus. Always. And a lot of these other writings, they talk about Jesus. They even emphasize, you know, Jesus might have been a prophet, like in the Quran, but they don't get to the point where they say, hey, this Jesus, he was the eternal word of God and you should worship him. They don't get to that point. So you see how unique the Bible is in the whole picture of other books? To know that is so important. I'm going to leave you with one last kind of thought from the Bible. Because there's one person in the Bible that struggles with this a lot. And I introduced you to him last week a little bit. He struggles because he was a great teacher of the Hebrew scriptures. He was convinced that how he read the Hebrew Bible and the interpretations was the right way. And so when he started to hear about people worshiping Jesus, he just thought, this is unacceptable. This is unacceptable that they're taking the writings of the Jewish people and they're reading it in a way that's saying Jesus is really God. No, 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 no. Jesus was a nice guy and we killed him. So I don't even know what they're doing. Like we crucified that guy. Some of you maybe know this, but this guy's name is Paul. Paul is a person you meet in the pages of Scripture. And he's so important because many of the letters that we have in the New Testament are written by him. I remember thinking how shocked I was when I realized that Paul once didn't believe in Jesus, didn't like the Bible, hated Christians, because I thought everybody in the Bible was like a super spiritual person all the time. And I always felt like I can never be like them. I'm not reading the Bible. It's too hard. I'm not a good person. I make mistakes. My, my past life is a mess. You don't even want to know. All the, and then you read the Bible and you're like, God is using the most broken, messy, kind of discouraging situations And he's reminding everyone that his eternal word cuts through all of that. And when Paul has this moment where he realizes, wait a second, Jesus really is the one that the writings were pointing to. Jesus really is the eternal word of God. He is the one that these writings were meant to draw us closer to. He has these moments where he starts to write. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say to them, you should write what's on the screen next. Just tell them. Some of you didn't even move. Some of you are like, I don't think Dom's going to notice that we're not doing what he says. I notice. The Bible has a word for that. Disobedience to the pastor. It has that in there. Okay, just go to the slide with the stats. The second one. Slide, just the New Testament. Okay, the, the last, the second one. There's another one. Okay, I want to just give you a snapshot so you understand Paul a bit better. In the New Testament, we have 27 of the 66 books. Okay, some of you know this already. It's fine. Some of you don't and no shame. He's just like, oh, okay, I didn't really know that. Okay, and this is what you should know about them. They're written after the resurrection. Meaning Jesus is alive now, and everybody's realizing we need everybody to know that Jesus is alive. So they'll start to write, right? The actual stories of who he was and what he did, and so that we could all read them and know them and understand them better. Like, what a gift for us to have that. And Paul's letters are to these diverse churches. They're so different. They're not just like one church. It's not cookie-cutter church. They're different parts of the, of the Mediterranean. And, and some of you know this. And some it's instruction, the church. Then you have the gospel writers. You have Mark, which is first, Matthew, Luke, and John. Now, some of you are like, no, no, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, no, Mark is first. 
Forget about the order you have them in your Bible. Mark is the oldest. Okay? Come to a Bible study. Okay, and the last one is warning and wisdom. These are like such important letters in the New Testament about false teachers, people who teach in a way that sounds very confident, but they're not saying the truth, about worship and what it's going to look like when we're all in the kingdom of God worshiping like we just sang, holy, holy, holy. It's beautiful. So Paul, who's a person who writes, some of the writings, he starts to write, he's like, I didn't believe Jesus was it. I realized that the writings of the Torah point to him. There is no one else. He's the eternal word of God, right? Then he starts to write to churches. And at one point, he gives us the most beautiful language for how to understand the Bible. I'm going to read it for you. This is what he says. All scripture is God-breathed. It's kind of like it's almost inspired, some translations will say. I like the word God-breathed, right? And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, in right living. So that the servant of God, if you're a servant of God, this is for you, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says that. This is the guy who at one point thought, i got to kill everybody who loves Jesus. And now, there's something about who Jesus is. There's something about the eternal power of the living God that transforms him. And he begins to say, no, 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 no. I was wrong. Like, I missed the whole thing. I had learned to read these writings in such a way that it was my authority and how I interpret them that was right, and I realized I was wrong. Jesus is the one that all of these writings point to. And he writes this in a time when the church is growing and expanding and changing, and one of the most beautiful things that you might not know is that this passage is written in Greek. It's written in Greek, a language Jesus probably didn't speak, which tells us that there's already people who were not there at the beginning who are becoming Christians. It's like, think of another language today that's like a new language, that you would begin to write the Bible in a new language. Some of the greatest work happening right now is being done by Christian translators to interpret the Bible and translate it for people who don't have a Bible in their language. Can you imagine the sacrifice, the work, the diligence in learning grammar? Like, I say the word grammar, and I think, oh my goodness, I'm I'm getting nauseous, right? It's like grammar, it's like, oh my goodness, verbs, adverbs, who cares? No, no, it mattered so much so that we could have a Bible in English, in French, in Spanish. So already Paul's like, the story of Jesus, it's the story of God redeeming his people, but the Greek people, they need to know. It's got to be for them too. We've got to write it so that they can understand. And Christians will continue to do this. Why? Because there is no substitute for the Bible being the living words of God that point to the eternal word of God. Every time I read my Bible and I see this section, it says, all of Scripture is God-breathed. I love that image. I often think about the first time I heard one of our our oldest son at the time breathe his first breath in the hospital. Maybe I felt that this week because it was Father's Day. I was like, wow, I'm a father. Oh my goodness, I better not mess this up or something like that. And I remember like how they prepare you for when your child is born. They're like, you know what? It's normal when they come out. Like we're them, we're getting them ready. They have to breathe. And the greatest thing you can hear is a child start to cry. Because it's like, it's all good. Once they're crying, they're starting to breathe, their body, everything starts to pump, the heart starts to pump. But I thought, how beautiful this image. That breath, that first breath, is a breath for now life to begin to unfold. And that life, that living breath, is going to help this child, any child, begin to grow in full maturity in what they should be. 
Everybody would say if the child just starts to breathe and stays a child, something's wrong, right? The goal of the breathing is that in the breathing, the child now has all of the functioning of the body, the heart, the mind, oxygen, to begin to do what? To begin to grow. One of the most beautiful things Paul says, is like, if you want to think of what the point of these writings are, as you think about all of the scriptures, they're breathed by God that as you read them, the breath and the living breath of God is in you, helping you grow and mature. And he gives us these four words for what that maturity looks like. For some of you, maybe, I figure you might be tired. I even bolded them for you. Because you're like, what are they? Where are the four words? They're right there. If you're listening online or on a podcast, just think about it. Teaching. All of the scriptures, they're breathed by God. And those who hear them are given, like, it's like God's breathing in us life for us to keep growing. And wanting to follow Him and wanting to grow. As they're used for teaching, for rebuking for correcting, and for training. Which one of these is the hardest for you? Which one of these do you think, I probably struggle the most with this? Or maybe right now, you're thinking this is the hardest one for me now. I've never met anyone in all the years of being a pastor that loves to be told that they're wrong. So correcting and rebuking are really hard to do. So what does it mean that we have to learn to be those who sit under the scriptures in a way where we're humble enough to be corrected and rebuked. That's such a great picture for someone who doesn't believe in the Bible, who's not sure what the Bible says. It's so much better than giving them facts about the Bible when you actually show them a life of a person who surrendered to the correction of the Bible. There's been times in my life where God has provided the right people at the right time to rebuke me and to correct me. They were people who loved me. And I knew that they loved me. You know, maybe for you, this is a season in your life where God is maybe in in a situation where He's correcting things in you. He's trying to show you, hey, the decisions you've been making don't align with the things that I've asked you to set your life on. What are you going to do? You know what's an easy thing to do? To say the Bible is just a bunch of rules. I hate that stuff. You could do that. Or you can say, I'm going to try another religion. I'm not interested in the Bible anyway. Or you can say, wait a second, this is a God who speaks through these written words in such a way that if I listen to them and embrace them as the words that point me to Jesus, I will grow and mature like a baby having life in that breath. That that's what's going to happen to me. And that's what's going to happen to you. And that's what's going to happen to your kids. The world is dying to see Christians who take the Bible seriously like this. The world is dying to get a glimpse of people who really not only read the Bible and study the Bible, but we believe that it's God breathing into us continuously the things we have to do so that we would grow in these ways. And then what's beautiful about this is as we do this, we're actually being equipped for every good work that God has in store for us. It's good to know that the things that God calls us to, He equips us for. Because I know so many things that God calls me to that I don't feel I'm equipped to do. This might have happened to you in your life. I think of the different times in my life where I'm like, God, I'm not good at that. You know, some of you are going to use that excuse with our kids' ministry, right? You're going to be like, would you help? I'm not good at that. There's a lot of places to use those excuses. It's going to be great. And I hope you hear me saying this. God is equipping you for His work. God is equipping you as you let the Scriptures shape you, correct you, train you, and you step into these moments 
And God begins to use you in a way that you're like, I never thought I had the strength or the, the wisdom or the leadership for this. You know who learned that the best? The person who wrote this passage. Paul would never have imagined that in writing this text, he would be writing to most of the early churches who were kind of growing, sending them letters, helping them understand like, that Jesus is the what? The eternal word of God. And that he was there from the beginning. He was already there. So this week for you, what would it look like for you to just slow down enough to say, God, I kind of maybe have to go back to some basics. I have to kind of just begin again to understand like the bigger picture of the Bible. Maybe if you're a person like me that you really need some evidence and you're very reasonable, you want to start with the facts again. Like I want to go back and look at some of these facts. Like it'll help me. But facts will not be enough. Facts are just a way that oftentimes we just use them for, for, for debate. And, and they might help someone who doesn't know anything about the Bible. But we know that Jesus is always paying attention to those who are reading the scriptures and who are not understanding that they need to move to the place where they worship Jesus as Lord. That makes Christianity different from every other religion in the world. Every other religious text, the Bible is the one that says, as you read this, you should see that Jesus is calling you to follow him and to worship him. I'm going to invite the team to come up and, and I'm going to wrap up. And I, I'm going to just read a last passage that I think maybe will remind you of how amazing Jesus was as he was alive and just teaching. He says this in John again at the end of his gospel. He says this, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. It's amazing. Now, I, I'm the kind of person that's like, well, why didn't they tell us more? Like, what else did Jesus do that we don't know? Like, you ever had that, somebody said to you, like, when you die and you go to heaven, what's one thing you're going to ask Jesus? You know, we have all these questions, like, what happened? Like, if you're a parent and you have teenagers, you want to know, like, how did Jesus' parents kind of keep him on track when he wasn't listening? You always think about different things. You know, I think about silly things. Like, did Jesus have good friends? How did that work? I often think, did Jesus ever get a fever? How did that work? Now, some people are like, no, no, he was like magical. He never, no, he was a full human. His parents took care of him. Mary had to teach him how to swallow. Eat, eat, swallow, swallow. She had to do that. I'm like, well, how come we don't have more of that in the Bible? Because if we always want more of what we don't know, rather saying yes to what we do know. That's the great pride of our age. That if only I can get more information, then I'll do it. But the Bible is a book that says you have enough to know what it means that you need to die to yourself and worship Jesus as Lord. You have enough. Go with that. Begin to be faithful in that. I'm going to have you stand and I'm going to encourage you to think of someone that you love, you care about, that has questions about the Bible, questions about Christianity, Doubts, you're like, yeah, I don't know, is it reliable? Is it trustworthy? How is it different from other religious books? That you might just pray and say, God, as I'm talking to my friend, I might just encourage them to listen to this. And then you would take them out for coffee and just say, hey, let's read this together. Let's just read a part of this Bible together. Because there's nothing like reading a part of the Bible with someone else that stretches you to hear the Spirit at work how he's talking, how he's breathing new life into broken things, breathing new life into things that feel like dry and stale, 
For some of you, Jesus needs to breathe new life into your marriage, into your relationship with your in-laws, to a relationship with the co-workers. As you visit family, as you travel over the summer, what would it look like if we, this new life, this breath of life of the scriptures permeated everything that we did? How beautiful would that be? Because when Jesus shows up to places and his words are heard, people always say a similar thing. He speaks with one who has authority we've never seen before because he's the eternal word of God. slide I read earlier back on the screen and I'm not going to read it for you I want you to read it quietly it's John chapter 5 verses 39 and 40 can you put them back on the screen just read this quietly 
If you're listening online, John 5, verse 39 and 40. You study the scriptures diligently, says Jesus, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. If you remember anything this morning about the Bible, is that it tells us about a God who wants us to experience life and life to the fullest. I don't know what you heard in our culture. I don't know what you believed growing up about the Bible. But Jesus wants you and I to experience life in its fullness. That means a life on purpose, a life with dignity, a life with hope, a life without fear, a life where we trust Him. And so many things in this world will keep you and I from coming to Jesus so that we can have life. I'm just going to ask you to just close your eyes and to think about the things in your life now that maybe might keep you from coming to Jesus with all of your heart that might keep you from saying these scriptures are meant for me to worship Jesus as Lord. Maybe for you, it's shame of what your family's going to think. Maybe for you, for, me, for you, what's keeping you is just how much you love your own life and your own plans. Maybe for you, you're afraid of what you're going to have to give up to experience the life that Jesus has for you. Maybe for you, you're just afraid of the unknown. Each of us has to deal with those things and to know that Jesus is inviting us to go to Him that we would have life. That our lives only make sense when we see them in connection with the eternal words of the one who created us. As I pray, would you just be open to God teaching you how you can surrender those things to Him? the things that would keep you from hearing the scriptures as the scriptures that testify about Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, there are so many distractions in our world. You know that. And you promised the gift of the Holy Spirit that not only inspired the writings of the scriptures, but is with us now, reminding us of everything that Jesus taught us. I pray for us today, whether listening online or here in the room or watching later at some other time, that you would make us so aware of the things in our life that may keep us from experiencing the life that you have for us. For some of us, that might mean the first step of saying yes to you. The first step of saying, I'm going to follow and worship this Jesus and learn everything I can about the way of life that he calls me to. For some of us, it's that we're in a season where we've forgotten that your word is meant for correcting and for training and for rebuke because you love us. So that we would be servants and that we would do the things you've called us to do. I think of all the distractions that wait us, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 
that will make us think that somehow Sunday is God's day, but every other day is our day. May that just be gone in the name of Jesus. The lie that somehow we get to live for ourselves and then pretend to care about your scriptures just for a few hours. Would you correct that in us? And call us to a deeper place. And keep us so attentive to those in our lives who struggle with the Bible. They have questions and doubts and they're not sure. Would you help us to just encourage them and to help them to see that the facts might not be enough? The facts might not just help them take that next step that requires faith and trust so that they would worship you. Use us in those moments. And may we see more and more people come to the place where they understand that these scriptures are a gift because they testify about you, the eternal word of God. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everyone, thank you for uh, listening and going through some of this stuff. The gift of YouTube is you can go back and watch it if it helps. If you're watching online, we're so happy you tuned in. We love you and God bless. Don't forget to say thank you to teachers who are with our kids this morning. We'll see you soon, everyone. God bless. Thank you, Mary.